your kids break the rules, what do you do? Tell them the rules again. Someone's struggling to keep doing what they're supposed to be doing, what do you normally do? Tell them what they're supposed to be doing. Reinforce the commandments a little bit. We come to an interesting couple of verses in the Bible this morning that really reflect this uniqueness of Christianity. You see, we come to just a couple of sentences in 1 John where he's been kind of laying out for them what God wants, abide in the commands of God. But for just a moment, instead of saying, hey, you're not obeying, so I'm going to repeat, he does something vastly different. Instead of repeating the commands when not obeying the commands, he does something different. He says, this is who you are. So instead of reminding them of the commands, he takes a break and says, hey, this is who you are. He reminds them of their identity. We're right now in the middle of a series where we've been focusing on what what does God want from us? And so we've been focusing on love God, love people. And we're right in the middle. The last two weeks we focused on loving God. The next two weeks after this we're going to focus on loving people. But as we're looking at these great commandments that Jesus gave to us, these commandments that Jesus said summarize all of the commandments, We're at this point where we've got to be reminded now, when we're struggling, where does God take us to? He takes us back to our identity. And so we need to have a couple of hand motions this morning to learn this next phase. But before we get to the new hand motions, we've got to review the old hand motions. So if you haven't been here lately, that's okay. You'll learn quickly. We're going to recap what our main marching orders are from God, are to, with all that I am, all that I have, love God. Okay, new people, you should be just ready to go now. And I'm not afraid to call you up here. Here we go, everybody. With all that I am, with all that I have, love God. All right, we know that's the greatest commandment. But today in 1 John chapter 3, we actually get the starting point. It's going to be a little tricky here. We're going to add something before that. Very simple. The truth from these three verses goes like this. I am the beloved of God. I am the beloved of God. Now, some of you aren't getting this. Okay, beloved is right over the heart, left hand over the right hand. This isn't the same as the love that we've done before, okay? Everybody, let's practice this. Okay, I am the beloved of God. Now let's put it all together. Okay. I am the beloved of God with all that I am, with all that I have, love God. Okay, pretty simple. Very, very simple. A little opportunity for you to remember who we are and also to remember what we're supposed to be about as God's children. What John is reminding of us this morning is what God has done on our behalf. And to remind us of who we are and what he's done, he uses a unique word. And if you have your Bible with this morning, look at verse 2. He starts verse 2 with a simple word, but a powerful word. He says, beloved. This word beloved is used six different times in the letter of 1 John. And along with the word beloved then, there's also the, little, the words little children used multiple times in the, gospel, in the book of 1 John. Both words are meant to show endearment to the people that are receiving the letter. 
beloved is meant to be the precious one who receives something. Where this word beloved comes from, it goes back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's this, this book called Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is really an interesting book in the Old Testament. It's, it's very hard to understand. It's almost like this love story that's going on. And multiple times throughout the love story, it gets really uncomfortable, especially around young children. Because there's some graphic imagery used to describe this love relationship that's going on. And it's always been difficult kind of for people to understand, what in the world is that in the Bible for? What was the prophet given that message for? And most generally agree that the book Song of Solomon wasn't given for you and I describing how we interact with one another, but it was a description of God's love relationship with his people. And this term beloved flows from that book when God is describing his relationship with the nation of Israel, he pointed to them and said, these are my beloved. These are these people that I have great uh, endearment for. They are precious to me. Well, now it's expanded beyond Israel. John says to all those who believe in Christ, you are the beloved of God. You are this precious being in the sight of God. This is who you are. To be the beloved, though, goes one step further now in the New Testament. It means that love has been poured out for you. So look back with me to verse 1 in 1 John 3. Back to verse 1, it says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. It's describing here, saying, hey, hey, look, well, look what God has done for you, specifically if you have the King James Version, which probably not many of you do this morning, instead of the word given, it's got the word bestowed. And it says, see what kind of love the Father has bestowed upon you. The reason that you're the beloved is that because God, the creator of the universe, has bestowed love upon you. The word bestowed means, in a very legal sense, to give to someone who's undeserving and legal transfer, basically, of saying, what is mine is now yours. I'm giving this to you. You don't deserve it, but now I'm passing this on to you. I'm bestowing it upon you. So if I'm going to pass along a family heirloom, for example, I might say, hey, here's these china dishes. I'm bestowing them upon my grandchild. They are legally yours now. And so God is saying here in his word, he's saying, hey, what I've done is I've taken my love and I've given it directly to you. I've bestowed it upon you. That's why you're the beloved, is because what God has done for you. And what has God done for you? How has God loved you? God has loved us enough where he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. So often, we take this simple thing for granted. We, we forget that God is under no mandate to love us. Now, what's happened is we sometimes, we reflect something onto God of what we think God should be like. So we say to ourselves, well, yeah, if he's God, God should be loving and love us as his creation. Well, if he's God and we're not God, we have no right to project onto God what God should be like. There's no mandate upon God to love us. Yet God freely chooses to bestow upon us his love in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, this could have been done vastly different. 
God could have very easily said, hey, I love my creation, but you know what? I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up a separate place, and I'm going to interact with them through angels rather than send my son and have my son die for them so that we can be together in perfect relationship. God could have said, I'm going to set up another place, and I'll have an intermediary, angels, that will interact with them, so at least give them something. But God goes above and beyond that. He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, a portion of Himself, to die on our behalf, directly for us. That's love bestowed upon us, given something to us by God Himself. This morning, you are the beloved because God has bestowed love upon you. And if love has been poured into us, now what God wants poured out from us is love. Until you come to understand this central truth, this identity issue, that you are the beloved, you will always hear love God and love people just as a rule, rather than as a result. This is how the Bible works, completely different. When Jesus gives a command, he sees the commands as what? An outflow of our faith. So sometimes some of us struggle with this issue of obedience and grace and how does it all work together? Do we obey and then we're saved or are we saved by grace but yet we still kind of got to obey? Well, Jesus has a different way of looking at it. We're saved by grace that we're made God's people because of God's favor. But then when we trust in Christ, what flows from that faith is what? Obedience. That's why it says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matt, Jesus is preaching. He says, hey, if you're a good tree, what are you going to do? Bear good fruit. An apple tree does what? It bears apples. And so if someone's not bearing good fruit, what's the issue? The issue is you got to look to the root system. You got to look to the identity. Are they a child of God? Are they trusting in Jesus right now? We shouldn't expect anything different if they're not a child of God. So you this morning, what about your identity? Do you see yourself as the beloved, a child of God? And from that then flows obedience or love to God and love to other people. Where it gets really tricky, but helpful understanding is when John continues on here in 1 John 3. Go back with me to verse 2. So we are the beloved. This is our new identity. Now in verse 2 he says, Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we're not completely done yet. So when Jesus returns, very simply, Jesus is going to return. And when Jesus returns, we're going to be completely glorified. Glorified is a big word, basically meaning made perfect. That when Jesus returns in the second coming and the resurrection, everybody and everything is going to be glorified. We're going to be completely pure at that time. So in the meantime, though, we're children of God, but we're still in the flesh. We still have a battle with Satan. We still have a battle with sinful ways. So we're not going to be perfect. But just because we're not perfect does not mean we don't pursue perfection. You can pursue perfection while realizing that yet until Jesus returns, we're not going to be completely there yet. So we're in this little weird time where we're already made perfect in God's sight and we're children of God, yet we're not 
fully perfect as we're still living in the flesh, struggling in the battle against Satan. So a child of God has a constant kind of weird friction relationship where you're remembering who you are, but sometimes there's things that you do that don't reflect completely who you are because we're still in the flesh. And then to add another layer of complication, look back with me to verse 1. He says here, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So John says here, hey, don't expect other people to see you as, the ch- as children of God. Don't expect other people to see you as the beloved. And he gives a perfectly legitimate reason here. The reason is this. Well, they didn't accept Jesus. Why would they ever accept you? So in John chapter 1, it says this about Jesus, that he came to his own, yet his own did not receive him. And in other places in the Gospel of John, when describing the person of Jesus Christ, it describes that the world hated him. And so Jesus would say to his followers, hey, if the world hates me, be prepared. They're also going to hate you. How can you possibly expect to bear the name of Christ, who's been rejected by the world, and yet be liked by the world? It does not work. And so sometimes, when we're too much like culture, and everyone likes us, that's actually a good indication that we're not being faithful at that time. This is really weird to think about, that we're supposed to be disliked. We're not supposed to be disliked or different just for the sake of being different and disliked, but we're different and disliked because of the name that we carry, the name of Jesus. And if Jesus himself was rejected, those who carry the name of Jesus are going to be rejected. You see, we're going to be a little different. People aren't going to always understand what's going on. I'm not a very mechanical person. I, I'm, I'm more of a carpenter, as most of you know. can handle that pretty well. But, but actually, mechanical, I really, rarely even try the do-it-yourself when it comes to mechanical stuff. When I get around mechanical people and they're, they're talking, oh, I have this Hemi, that six-cylinder with, you know, a nice muffler on the back with a whatever. I'm not, see, I don't even know what I'm talking about. And see, so you, you get around people that are talking about mechanical stuff, and I'm just sitting there, yep, mm-hmm, yep. But I really don't understand what's going on at all. Maybe you've been in that situation before, and so what do you, you're just kind of on the outside kind of wondering what they're really meaning. What he's, what he's saying here in God's Word is that, hey, be ready. The world is, is going to kind of be foreign to the way you talk, the way you act, and, and, and where you get your strength from. So don't be surprised if the world's kind of like, what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean that your source of hope and your source of strength is from your identity as a child of God? That, that's just not going to click with people because they're not clicking with Jesus. So we have to be prepared that when we're followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be prepared that culture is not always going to accept us, that there's going to be times when culture doesn't even understand us. And the same is going to be true in our own families. There's going to be times when our own families do not understand decisions we make. So when it comes to decision time, we say, hey, I'm going to have so-and-so over for supper, I'm going to ask them to join our family gathering because they don't have anywhere else to go. The rest of our family might say, well, can't we just have our family together? 
but they're not understanding the worldview that you're working from says this, that the least of these, that those who are in the family of God are what? Part of our immediate family. They're, they're, we're supposed to take care of them just as much as we do our immediate family members. So again, it's just one of those things that some, if you're not in it, you're not going to totally understand it. There's going to come a lot of moments like that when we have to make decisions in life that our friends, our family are going to go, why, why are you doing that? Why are you 75 and volunteering rather than sitting on a beach somewhere down south? Don't, don't you deserve just to sit and relax now for your last 25 years? Well, when a Christian has the perception that says this, my retirement, my time in the beach is in heaven. It's not even going to be close to anything here, so I'm going to do everything I can right here, right now, because my true enjoyment is coming. There's going to be a lot of confusion sometimes. People are going to look at our decisions and say, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But it shouldn't surprise us at all. Because the very source of our identity, Jesus Christ, who is the source of the love that's been lavished upon us, has been rejected. Therefore, oftentimes, our very identity will be rejected. Yet, this is who John says, hey, hey, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Before he even gets into the next commands, it's remember, see, you're a child of God. You are the beloved. So let's, let's remind ourselves one more time here who we are. Let's see if you remember. Okay, now let's put it all together. And I forgot one little thing that I wanted to put in between here. So it goes, I am beloved of God, therefore... Okay, everybody, let's, let's pra practice this with me. Don't hit the person's head in front of you. Therefore... Okay, that goes in between, right? Okay, here we go. I am the beloved of God, therefore, with all that I am, all that I have, love God. Some of you may be wondering, if I'm the beloved of God, if, if God loves me this much and lavishes His love upon me, why is He making me go through this? And that's a legitimate question. That's a legitimate struggle. If God so loves us, why do we struggle so much with different things? And as we reflect upon that question this morning, there, there's not a good answer. There's really two different directions, two things that can help us understand. First is this. Well, there's sometimes when God allows us to go through certain things or even causes certain things to happen that the Bible tells us are meant to refine us. So it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and other places that we're going through tribulation and trial as a refinement so that our, our faith may be pure as a gold. Because you know what happens when trouble comes? What do you do? You start to cling to that what really matters. When trouble, trouble comes, you kind of put away all the side issues, all the stuff that you realize really quickly that's not going to be with you forever and doesn't really matter that much. And what do you hold on to? You hold on to that which matters. So sometimes, and I'm not saying everything, just hear me clearly on this. Sometimes God puts things in our lives or allows things to come into our lives that refine us, that force us to say, God alone is my rock. God alone 
is my hope. The, the second piece that, that happens that we don't do well with is this. There is a complete element of mystery in this life. Not everything is, is laid out two plus two, one plus one here in the Bible. This is revelation. It's not a math book or a science book that tells us exactly how everything works. And so there's stuff that happens in our lives that God didn't start. God didn't mean to happen. God doesn't want to happen. Yet, yet it's happening, and there's this element of mystery in all of this. Well, part of that mystery comes down to this. True love is unforced. If coercion is necessary, it's not really true love. And so many of us would like God to intervene at a variety of times and be more kind of in it, but at the same time is what? <clears throat> we don't want to be robots. We're God's just directing every single little aspect of our, of our life. And if I fall down these stairs right now, God caused it. We, no, it's not, it's not how it works. God created this world with this mysterious dimension that there's this freedom for the creatures, freedom for humanity. And so what happens is, is that then our hearts, when they're redeemed by Jesus Christ, there's this love that can grow towards God and towards one another. But if everything's just kind of fixated nicely and, and perfectly and everything's fine, then all we are is robots. And then we'd be getting upset on the other side and be saying, well, why doesn't God give us any freedom? Why is everything decided beforehand? See how we can get ourselves all tied up and, and wound up in this, just this mystery that God loves us. It's proven on the cross of Jesus Christ. Yet in the midst of that love, there's this mysterious stuff. There, there's this stuff going on in our flesh and in the world that we just say, how can there possibly be a loving God? That's a legitimate response. God does not condemn us for that response, but God does not want us to live in that response. He wants us to come back to the rock, to the cross, where we can stand on a solid foundation and say, I know God loves me because he put his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And there's some mysterious stuff going on elsewhere, but I'm going to cling to the love that I know because I am the beloved of God. What you put into something directly affects what comes out. When I worked at the fairgrounds, we had a little golf cart that we drove around in the, in the summer as an old kind of gas one. And I uh, had a couple of high school guys working there with me one summer, and they were kind of their first year there, and I asked them to go fill up the golf cart. They went to fill up the golf cart. Well, I didn't really give clear instruction to how that was all supposed to work. So they went, and they filled it up. A couple hours later, we're out spraying around the fence line stuff, and the thing's just not moving at all. Whoop, whoop, clunking. Thing. I'm like, what in the world? Didn't you fill this up? Man, we filled it up. Well, look, I mean, they put diesel in there. Okay, I don't think they've made golf carts yet that run on diesel. You put diesel in, what do you expect to get in return? Probably not very good operations. What you put in directly affects what's going to come out. Well, what God has put in you and I, according to 1 John chapter 3, is love. He has bestowed love upon us. And now God desires that in return, love is given, that there's a reciprocal relationship of love. I am the beloved of God. Therefore, 
with all that I am, with all that I have, love God. This morning, you have an opportunity to be reminded of how much God loves you. This morning, we celebrate communion. At communion, we've got a very physical, specific reminder, something very earthly, bread and juice that reminds us of how much God loves us. The bread is the body of Jesus Christ. When it's broken, when it's broken, it's symbolizing that that was done for you, that Jesus' body was actually broken on your behalf. And in the juice, in the juice we have a reminder that Jesus' blood was shed on your behalf. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come forward and celebrate this thing called communion with us. When you come forward this morning and you receive a piece of bread, we'll say to you, body of Christ given for you, beloved. Body of Christ given for you, beloved. Let the bread and the drink this morning remind you specifically of who you are. You are the beloved of God. And we're reminded of this event in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where the Apostle Paul gives the following instruction. He says to the people of God, he says, When you gather together, do as Jesus commanded. Take a piece of bread, break it, and as Jesus said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that Jesus took the cup. When he took the cup, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning, as we proclaim the Lord's death, we're reminded of the depth of God's love for each of us. And so I invite you to come forward this morning to receive the piece of bread, dip it into the juice, and be reminded that you are the beloved. God loved you enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you this morning for your love. Thank you that you have poured out your love upon each of us through the cross of Jesus Christ. God, we ask now this morning that you would cleanse our hearts. We ask now, O oh Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive this gift. So, Lord, we pray that you'd give us faith. Give us the ability, O oh Lord, to trust in Jesus. God, we ask this morning that you would remind us, that you would energize us, and that you would embolden us in our identity as the beloved. God, thank you for who you are and what you have done. This morning, Lord, I want to lift up and pray for anyone who's struggling with your love this morning, anyone who has a difficulty receiving your love, anyone this morning, Lord, who is in the midst of a difficult situation, therefore is doubting your love. God, I ask this morning that you would take your Holy Spirit and intervene through the bread and through the drink and remind their hearts specifically, encourage them this morning, remind them of your love. God, give us the ability to trust. Thank you for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.